Welcome to the A1 Podcast with A1 Nick with A1 Bail Bonds and Honolulu Hawaii. This podcast is a comprehensive recap of the 2020 PBUS convention. PBUS stands for the Professional Bail Agents of the United States. It was the winter conference that took place from February 23rd to 26th in Las Vegas, 2020. So let's jump right into it. Tommy Lauren. It is pronounced Tommy, like the boy's name, and Lauren, like laryngitis. She said that, not just me. That's how you say her, uh, her name. So yes, in case you've never heard of her, um, she is the Fox News contributor. She's the host of the digital streaming um, platform Fox Nation. She is famous for her final thoughts segment. Um, she's got over 500 million views of her content. She's basically a huge star, um, mostly among conservatives, polarizing figure, but huge star nonetheless. So what were the key takeaways from her talk at the bail bond convention? Well, number one, controlling the narrative, which is something she's exceptional at. Um, you have to be able to tell the story about bail reform and talk about the victims of bail reform. You have to be able to tell the stories that affect the community. You have to be able to use words that like become buzzwords. Her words are, you know, whenever you have criminal um, justice reform or bail reform, um, she likes to call it the coddling of criminals. She calls some of the um, policies felon-friendly policies. Um, what is true and what she points out quite aptly is um, the people that have been portraying or the felons who have reoffended have now become the victim. That's sort of like the common like shift. At one time, we used to really focus on the victims of the, the crime, the complainant. However, things have changed quite drastically, and now um, the felon is the victim because society has failed them. Uh, number two talking point is, I'll just say this, and I'm going to add like little sidebars, and I'm going to announce them. I'm going to say, hey, sidebar, um, when I insert my own sort of interp interpretation of the... Um, of the speakers who were at the, uh, the bail convention. I was very impressed in sidebar. I was very impressed with, uh, Tommy Lauren's like understanding of the orange origins of bail. A lot of people just think, Oh, we have this prison, prison overcrowding problem. It's because bail bondsmen are the gatekeepers. Um, it's because money is involved and, um, because of the bail bond industry and because of money, that is why we have overcrowding. She correctly understood that the origins of bail is actually to help the working class person. She understood that the bail bond industry was created um, for people who could not post the entire amount of cash for their bail. So they were accountable to pay a percentage, traditionally 10%, get co-signers, usually people in their family. And then that was like... That was like the side door to release. If you can't afford to post the entire amount in cash, then you can go ahead and find a solution through a bail bond agent, and you could just put the percentage up, get a cosigner, and then you post a bond for that entire amount because 
for the most part, if you have a really high bail, most people couldn't afford to just, you know, submit that full amount of the cash, have the court hold it until the end of the case. So I was very impressed with how she picked that up. Most, uh, most of the time, only bondsmen understand that we don't go to work thinking, hey, how could I increase the uh, prison population? We go to work trying to help people. And the goal is to make um, it easy for our clients, which is, you know, the defendants involved and their families. Our goal is to make it as quick and easy to get their loved one out of custody, not the other way around, not the other way around. So I was very um, happy that, you know, she explained just that. And that's, that's usually something only bail bondsmen understand, but she totally understood it. So Here's an important thing, and I'm going to continue on, and this will be the last point of my sidebar on her understanding things. You know what? Everybody feels bad when you don't have the cash to post um, bail for yourself, and not everybody qualifies to actually get a bail bond. Sometimes people have such a crazy failure-to-appear um, history. Sometimes they can't um, afford to really support themselves and they'd be putting themselves at risk if they tried to come up even via payment plan um, the fee for a bail bondsman. So luckily we have a system in place already which is charged to help the indigent person who shouldn't be in custody but once is removed from custody will be able to like just attend court hearings which is the whole point of bail to get released and then uh, attend court hearings moving forward. We have pretrial services, which that was the agency created to help the indigent client who couldn't qualify for, you know, cash bail or qualify for a bail bondsman. We have that in place right now. So if somebody can't afford um, to hire a bail agent and they can't afford the full amount of cash, well, that's what pretrial services is for. It's a government agency that gives free bail to people. Um, so that, you know, you don't have somebody innocent who's in custody just because they don't have the money. They're supposed to be able to get released and then return to court for the purposes of their court appearances. Now, whenever there's a failure, I apologize. This gets lost a lot, but I have to call it how I see it. If you can't afford the money condition part, you always could fall back on the court granting supervised release or release on your own recognizance. The problem is you got to be able to qualify for it. So if you have this gnarly history where you've shown that you do not appear in court as directed, or if you're like an incredible danger to public safety, well, I don't really know what the solution is. And most people don't have the solution. What do you do when somebody doesn't have the money to bail out, can't cut a deal with a bail agent to get out through a bail bond? And lastly, can't qualify for supervision. Like, you can't even qualify to get out on supervised release. What do you do in that situation? Nobody has an answer to that. That's the true problem. Instead of pointing fingers at the bail agent or the bail system, we should be saying, hey, how do we make pretrial services, you know, more inclusive so that the hardest of the hard cases, the ones that we just don't have a simple solution for, that should be the goal of pretrial services, to help people get out who can't afford bail. Um, that should be the future, and that's what we should have our eyes, you know, on to try to solve. Um, in the future, this is just last, last part of the side note. In the future, I think it's pretty clear. I'm going to recommend this. 
there's a lot of people out there who just can't take care of themselves. Um, you let them out, they're not going to go back to court. You say, hey, you have to go seek uh, vocational training. You have to go seek housing. You have to get involved. Uh, you have to go sit, stay at this shelter. You have to obey a curfew. They're just not going to do what you instruct them to do. They don't have life skills. They have anger management issues. They might have uh, drug rehabilitation needs. And I hate to say it, but when the government just lets somebody out and says, hey, you got to do A, B, and C, a lot of times the government just sucks at following up and making sure that those types of things happen. My solution is... You know what? Moving forward, when we build jails and we have people in custody that just can't qualify for anything, while they're in custody, we have to rehabilitate them while they're in custody. We have to incentivize them to go seek life skills, you know, learning, anger management treatment, uh, drug addiction treatment, all the different treatments. They have to have like agencies within the actual prison. It should be like a campus. There should be like different facilities made specific to help people with different issues. And you have to incentivize people's participation in those programs. So for example, guy who's homeless and addicted to drugs, won't listen to any court orders, can't let him out because he's a danger to himself to overdose and a danger to the community that he's been, you know, uh, possibly released to. You just can't do anything with this person. Well, while they're in custody waiting for trial, you just got to try your best to help them and incentivize participation in a program. It's got to be nonprofit or private sector solutions because I'm sorry, when you get governments trying to like implement programs, a lot of times they just fail. And instead of like cutting bait and getting a new program to replace them, it becomes one of those weird things where it's like, oh, well, we do a shitty job. We can't figure it out. We're not helping people at a, a high enough rate. Because of our failure, now we need more money. It's like you're doubling down on something that like sucks. We need to have like nonprofits who know what they're doing, have experience helping people. We need to have private sector rehabilitation options where everybody bid, bids on like a contract, and then you know, if they don't show good results after two years or four years, they got to be out. And we can't keep subsidizing people, um, government agencies that suck at what they do. Um, moving forward, we just can't waste the money on that. So next point that Tommy Lauren makes is we got to have a focus on intellectual consistency when it comes to reform. The system needs to be fair. Public safety is the number one concern where we have to have compassion, not just for the person who got arrested, we have to have compassion for the person who actually got robbed on the subway. You know what I mean? Not just the person who got arrested for robbing somebody on the subway. She brings up the case of Charles Berry. He's been arrested 139 times in New York. And really bad guy, convicted of six felonies, 87 misdemeanors, has 21 failure to appears on his record. And because of bail reform in New York, he could basically get arrested and then released um, within hours. Um, there's really no um, risk or consequences for people like that who are, you know, repeatedly arrested for, you know, small little, you know, hustles, little crimes, little robberies. But at, at, at a larger scale, when you have a, a population that repeatedly is in and out, in and out, in and out, we, we have to have some sort of consistency where it's not just about having compassion for, you know, the person committing the crime. We, we need to have compassion for the actual victim who, you know, maybe they only got robbed for 50 bucks, but 
that 50 bucks might have been everything to that person, right? Um, you gotta be, and this is her once again, you gotta be, like, strong, and you have to express yourself. And you can't let the, the, the narrative that calls the, the, the criminal the victim, you can't let the narrative, like, change and not be about the person who actually got, like, filed the complaint and actually got wronged. She's been called terrible things. She's been called a racist, a Nazi, a bigot. She's been called intolerant. And of course, if you look at her, she looks like the total poster child for white privilege. But you can't be silenced because you're afraid of being called a name. Her words exactly. Pushback is necessary. The names have no effect over you. They don't tell the story about who you are. And the truth will win out no matter what. It's about public safety. You have to have that in mind. Not, hey, if I call it what it is, somebody's going to call me a name. It's okay. It's just the name. Your friends, your family, the people who know you and love you, they know you're not that name. It's just a name. So having intellectual consistency and not being afraid of being called a name is key as you go ahead and try to like, you know, express what you believe to be the truth. So unfortunately, rich people who advocate for bail reform, a lot of the times, the people who get arrested and released, arrested and released, they're not going back to those rich communities in the Hollywood Hills. They're not going back to where, you know, Joaquin Phoenix lives. Instead, they're going right back to the poor communities that they came from. And what do they do? They continue to, you know, perpetuate crimes and be a public safety risk for the communities that they came from. So the poor communities lose twice because you have people who are advocating for um, the release, arrest, release, arrest, release without any conditions. But they're the ones living behind, like, you know, the closed gates that don't have to deal with the issues when, like, people get re-released. Now, it, it's a problem, but that's the dynamic that we have right now. The bail industry needs to educate people, talk to advocacy groups, talk to the community, talk to police unions, talk to sheriff unions, emphasize the truth that the bail industry is here to help. Not everything's a failure. You can't just blame somebody's terrible acts because, hey, the school sucked, the parents failed, you know. It sucks, but law enforcement has to step in when everybody else failed. When the parents failed with the kid, when the schools failed to educate the kid and teach life skills, um, when the public sector has failed, law enforcement has to step in, bail agents have to step in and try to help people get out and get right back on track. Now, sidebar, final thoughts on Tommy Lauren, final thoughts, my final thoughts. Holy shit, is this young woman a rock star? I couldn't believe it, and I'm not a big fan of Tommy Lauren. I have mixed feelings about her, just in general. I've seen maybe less than three different, you know, final thoughts, um, her, like, little thing that she does on um, her segment. I'm not a huge fan. I don't watch Fox News on repeat. That's just not who I am. So I was a little conflicted when uh, <laughs> when she was coming up to talk. I was like, oh, God, what is this going to be about? But I'll tell you what. As a keynote speaker, she was fantastic. She spoke for 45 minutes, 
and I don't believe she stuttered a single time. She was smart. She was prepared. She had all her talking points organized. It was clear. It was easy. And she comes off a certain way on television, you know, from the few things that I've seen about her. But she was really humble in real life. She just admits she had humility like you would not believe. She admitted that she herself had been brought recently into the conversation. Um, she gave a very nice shout out to the late Beth Chapman. Um, they had been in communication for her to come the year before. However, because of scheduling issues, it just didn't happen. However, she is here, even though she's fantastic and helped me learn a lot, she was there to learn. Um, and she was open about that. Um, I'll tell you what, I go to live music um, events here and there. I love live music. I love the bands that I love. Um, seeing her speak at the Bale Agent Convention, it was almost like seeing a performance. Like, she worked the room. She got the crowd going. She got, like, a standing ovation. I couldn't believe how, like, a very young um, but very talented, like... I, I want to say talking head, but man, she's a lot more than that, um, was able to no joke get a standing ovation and just literally rock the crowd like she was Bon Jovi. I had never seen a public speaker do something quite like that, and it was something to see, let me tell you. I was very surprised and impressed um, by her segment. She was she was as, as advertised, and shoot, if she ever wanted to run for office, whoo! dangerous opponent for anybody running up against her because she could really rock a crowd. Super charismatic.